Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. When I first started at uh, Mount Traber, I was uh, picking up horses that uh, people had kept over the winter, and they used to do that a lot. And I was on my way to pick up these two horses that a family had kept uh, for many, many years, as it turns out. I didn't know the couple. I think it was actually my first year at the camp. And so I was driving, and I pulled into the yard, and uh, it didn't take me long to realize that they did not like me very much. They didn't want me there. They had these horses so long, they considered the horses theirs. And, you know, even though Mount Traber owned the horses. So we had some conversation back and forth, and uh, it was uncomfortable. And we loaded the horses in, and we were ready to go back to the camp. And then the, the, uh, the father says, well, I'm going to follow you home. I said, well, that's not necessary. He goes, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to. And I thought, yep, okay, here we go. So I, I followed, or he followed me all the way. And he actually is not far from here. All the way to the camp. We drove into the barnyard with the horses. He came in, and I got out of the truck. And I could see his mouth going a mile a minute. And he got out of that car, and he went up one side of me and down the other. And he called me everything you could imagine. And, uh, you know, I had no business uh, being around horses and all that stuff. He was like, it was ridiculous. He was, the, the, ho- the trailer was on two wheels, the horses were upside down, and that wasn't the case. At that particular time, I had a choice to make. And I was relatively new in the ministry, and I wasn't always a missionary. I, uh, I have a shaded past, and I, I had a decision to make at that particular time, and I made the wrong one because it just, I, it set me off. And I'm not going to repeat what I said to him. I didn't curse at him or anything like that, but I, but I did end it with that he's going to leave on his power or mine, but he's going to leave. And he got in his car and he left. And I'm going to tell you right now, this wave of guilt came over me like I, I can't even explain it. And I blew it because, and, you know, I, I, I didn't think this guy was a believer and I'm a Bible camp director and I just talked like that to him. Well, I noticed he'd forgotten a brass bit, and those are quite expensive. And I thought, well, maybe he might come back, and, and he did come back. He drove in the yard, and as soon as he got out of the car, I said, listen, I apologize for what I said. I had no business talking like that, even though I didn't agree with what he said, and I wanted to throttle him. I, I had no business saying that to him. And he apologized back to me. We ended up having a good conversation, and, he, and it ended well. And I thanked the Lord for that second chance. And I'm going to tell you that I learned a valuable valuable lesson that day that in an instant our testimony as believers can be shot when we're talking to non-believers let's just bow our heads for a moment dear heavenly father i thank you for uh this day i thank you lord that uh, we're here to do a presentation of your great ministry at mount Traber. lord i pray that you'll give me the right words to to speak this morning give me the courage and lord i just pray that you will use me and use my words and lord that um, everything that's said and done this morning will be honoring to you In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Galatians is a powerful book written by the Apostle Paul. The most popular view is that it was written in the southern region of of, uh, Asia Minor, sometime between 48 and 58 AD. There's other views about this, but the most important part is to whom it was written and why it was written. This letter from Paul was written to the early church. It was written to the early Christians, the early believers, in this particular area of the southern Roman Empire. And upon study, you'll find out 
that it was written for us as well. There's a lot of parallels from the church back then and the church now. In fact, I think the church is way worse now. Okay, so Paul is definitely speaking to us. The uh, book of Galatians played a major role in the Reformation. Okay, Martin Luther used the, the book of Galatians and, and, of course, Romans. Paul wrote this letter for three main reasons. A rebuke, and when you start reading the book, you can tell right away, you can just tell Paul's tone when he's writing this. It's a rebuke, because the church started off strong, but started to go downhill. They allowed Old Testament laws cloud the gospel. Paul was up against what you call Judaizers, okay? Those are Jewish Christians that believed and taught that Old Testament, Old Testament ceremonial practices were binding in the New Testament church. Also, there was, um, I believe there was people in there um, teaching other stuff, and it just, it basically caused the congregation, the people in that church to go astray, okay? And that's what Paul was addressing. And of course, all of this stuff about the law led back to being a slave to legalism, which goes against the gospel. So there's rebuke and it's doctrine. Paul reiterated that we are saved by grace through faith. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the completion of the law. Faith and obedience in Christ is the law. Okay, so in, there's doctrine and then instruction. What we all must do is faithful believers seeking God's will. And that is walking in the spirit, exhibiting the fruits of the spirit. And Galatians 5 makes it clear. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5, starting at verse uh, 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit. And if you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just want to stop right there. He's talking to unbelievers. He's talking to people who live like that habitually, who think they're saved, and they're not. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So if you look at that, there's contrast. Okay, there's the path of flesh, okay, walking in the flesh. And then we have the path of walking in the spirit, okay? So there's contrast, the two totally different paths. Flesh is the ego which feels emptiness and uses it, its own resources to fill it. Flesh is the I who satisfies me with anything but God's mercy. If we take a look at the world in the past and the world now, you can see the darkness and the evil leaders and the atrocities and the tragedies throughout time. Do you think those people were... Uh, walking in the flesh or were they walking in the spirit 
If you take a look at our country, what's going on, Christianity is being squeezed out of this country is because of walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. Look at what we're going through with the student funding. Do you think it's because of walking in the flesh or is it because of walking in the spirit? If we look at our communities, I don't know a lot about Great Village, but I know Truro. My daughter has told me how um, bad Truro is getting with drugs and prostitution with young girls. Is it because of walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit? And, and some of the churches that, that seem like they're doing very little about that. Now let's take a look at our church. Let's get a little uncomfortable this morning. I come from a church that went through a major split, and I can tell you this morning it was not because people were walking in the spirit. It's because people are walking in the flesh. There's so many churches that are suffering, that are closing. You have churches that are full of people, but are doing nothing outside of the church. Do you think it's because of walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit? Now let's take a look at ourselves. What is going on in your life right now? Is there turmoil from those sins of the flesh that Paul mentioned? Are you thinking about them right now? And I hope you are thinking about them. Because Christ, through Paul, is trying to get our attention. And he will do that sometimes in tragic ways. But he will get our attention. Living in the flesh for believers is wanting all the good and easy stuff from God. You know, we know we're going to be saved and we want all the blessings. But we, all, we, we want what the world offers as well. Flesh is saving God for Sunday morning or Wednesday night Bible study or when we're in trouble. Living in the flesh is taking off the armor of God and striking out on our own and, of course, falling on our faces. Living in the flesh leads to destruction, and for unbelievers, it leads to rejection okay, and eternal damnation. I know firsthand where the path of the flesh leads Okay, and it leads to absolute darkness. I was, I was a believer my whole life. I'm not going to get into it a whole lot, but I, was, uh, I drank a lot. I was an alcoholic, and it almost cost me my family. So I know where that life leads. So that's walking in the flesh. That's the one path over here, and then the other path is walking in the spirit. Walking on the path that God has set before us to travel on. He set that path there for us to travel on, but for some reason we refuse to travel on it. It is traveling through life, relying on his strength and his wisdom, creating Christ-like people who willingly serve, willingly serve. Take a look at Martin Luther in the Great Reformation. Now, I know Martin Luther, had, he struggled in the flesh. He had anti-Semitic views in, later on in life. But do you think he was walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit during the Great Reformation? And take a look at the great pastors and missionaries and theologians of the past who brought the church throughout all those dark times that I mentioned. Do you think they were walking in the flesh or the spirit? I look at uh, you know, men like Doug Taylor and Ed Henderson. There's some churches that would be um, greatly affected if they were walking in the flesh at one time. I think of Wen and Jean Otteson. These are two people that came from the uh, city of Philadelphia, moved up, I think in the late 50s, moved up to the back hills and woods of Cooksbrook, Nova Scotia. And in those days, there was some uh, dissensions and animosity between Americans and Canadians because of some events in World War II. So they came up, started this Bible club, had to make friends with people, okay? And now it's known as Mount Traber. Do you think they're walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit? Bob and Ruth Boger, the many years that they've spent there and, and made the camp what it is today, they're walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. Of course they're walking in the spirit. And I just pray that Debbie and I um, can follow in their footsteps. 
We take a look at godly people today and pastors today that are serving Christ in today's society, that are walking in the Spirit, and we need more of them. And unfortunately, that's why I'm preaching this this morning, because there's so many people that are not, that have chosen to walk in the flesh. So let's take a look, closer look at walking in the Spirit, and there are two images that shed light on the subject. Number one, verse 18 says that if you were led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Using the word led emphasizes the Spirit's work, not ours. And that's very important. We have to understand it is all about God's power, not our power. The Spirit is not a leader like the pace car in the Daytona 500. He's like a diesel locomotive on a train. We don't follow in, in our strength. We follow in His strength. We are led by His power. Walking in the, in the Spirit or led by the Spirit means staying hooked up to the divine source of power. We go where he goes. And number two, in verse 22, it says the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If our walk is to be a walk of love, joy, and peace, etc., okay, then to walk in the Spirit means to bear the fruits of the Spirit. Again, in God's power, not ours. And this fruit comes from where? It comes from the Lord. If you want to flip over in your Bible really quick to uh, John chapter 15, we're just going to look at uh, verses 4 and 5. And of course, this is Jesus uh, talking. John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus makes it very clear there. Oh, I don't want to lose my bookmark. It's actually my insurance card. <laughs> so walking in the Spirit means to abide in the vine. Keep yourself attached to the living Christ. Jesus is making it very clear here. Don't cut yourself off. Because what happens to vines when you cut? If you walk into Tim's greenhouses and cut off the vines, I know what's going to happen to you, but what's going to happen to the vines? Okay, they're all going to die. Probably like you. <laughs> so don't cut yourself off. God, God's word makes it very clear what his will for us is. This is why I don't understand sometimes why God's will is kind of treated like a mystery. And I know when we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, in the context of future events, you know, we, we say, well, if it's God's will, we're going to have more children. If it's God's will, this will happen and that'll happen. But, you know, it's walking in the spirit is God's will. When we surrender our lives to him, that is God's will. And that's how I look at it. So we have contrast. There's two paths there. And then there's conflict. Okay. And these two paths, they do not intersect. So verse 17 says that they, are in con they contrast each other. The sinful nature or walking in the flesh works directly against the spirit and vice versa. You cannot do both at the same time. And, of course, we all try at some level, don't we? And, unfortunately, more Christians today are trying harder and harder to do this. And I think and I feel this is why many Christians are so miserable in today's society. And I believe it's why this moral revolution that is here has taken root. There's a lot of Christians that are suffering with depression. There's a lot of Christians that are suffering with anxiety, anger, and all those things. And I think a lot of it is because we, they haven't done a, 
a true self-examination. I'm not trying to say that, that uh, um, you know, suffering with depression um, is a really, really bad thing and that, you know, you're living this sinful life if you're in depression, but I believe that if we surrender our lives 100% to Christ, he will heal us. You know, as the day goes by, we start relying on our own strength. And I don't know if you notice this or not. I do. We start off strong. We pray. We do our devotions. And then we walk at the door. And all it takes is one little thing and snap. You start making decisions on your own. Okay? And then you, maybe you get into a mood about something or you treat someone, you're, you're cranky with someone or it's a greed or whatever it is that you struggle with. And, it just, and, at, and at the end of the day, you look back and you wonder why things went south. And then you remember... I know I do. I so remember, I, I, I can actually remember when I decided to make decisions on my own. And then I just keep doing it every day. And it's, and it's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle for all of us. I don't know if it's because we're so used to it. I think that, that's probably it. It's probably we're so used to doing it every day. Or is it because we don't like the Lord's decision on this particular matter. We don't like what the Lord has to say about it, so we do it on our own. Either way, if you live like this on purpose, or if you live like this with no resistance or very little resistance to it, then there is no righteousness in you. And that is a harsh thing for me to say this morning. It doesn't matter if you do the really, really bad stuff mentioned in verse 19 to 21. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're putting money in the plate this morning... Um, with a crank on, and you could, you know, use the money somewhere else. There's no righteousness in that, okay? And that is what Paul is trying to teach us uh, this morning. I guarantee you that everyone in this room suffers from one or more of those acts of a sinful nature. I know I do. I did trying to write this message. It's like I'm halfway through, and it just seemed like all this stuff started happening. It was just trying my patience. And there was one, it was last Saturday morning, and it was raining. I don't know if it was raining up here, but it was raining really hard back home. And there's a guy that works at the barn. He's a, he's a good guy. He's not a believer. And uh, he wanted to haul sand in for our rotting ring. And he had one of those one-ton dump trucks. And uh, I thought, no, no, he wouldn't try to drive into our ring with it that as soft as it is. And I'm in the middle of uh, writing this message and practicing it at my house. And I get a phone call on my cell phone. And it was Kevin. Oh, I'm stuck. I thought, no way. So I'm on my way down to the barn. I'm thinking, fruits of the spirit, fruits of the spirit, fruits of the spirit. <laughs> and I go in, and to make it worse, I don't know why this made it worse, but it did. And there he is taking selfies with it and putting it on like it was something cool. I get, <laughs> you should see the ruts. He buried that truck, and it's right in front of the barn for all to see. Anyhow, I did keep my cool, and uh, I, you know, had a little chat with him about, uh, you know, the, how the ground is in the springtime and heavy trucks, and I'm thankful that I had a tractor to pull them out, thanks to Tim, and uh, we had a good chat about it, but I kept my cool, you know, because uh, it, that's just how the Lord tests us sometimes. So I did uh, tr trying to write this message, and I want to mention this morning that don't think that they're safely hidden, like if you're walking in the flesh or anything that you're struggling with is safely hidden at home, you know, when you come to church or if you go to Bible study, you know, we'll, we'll just tuck that away in, at home, or you drove here and you, you think you're going to leave it in the car. You know, and you're, you're cranking about something or whatever's going on in your life. It could be something really serious. You close the car door. You put the smile on. You see the greeters or the guys out there parking the cars. You know, you put on the smile. You walk into the church and it's, yes, Lord, I'm here to worship. And think you're going to go back into the same lifestyle. Okay, that is walking in the flesh. You can't do both at the same time. How do you feel when you drop the money in the plate? How do you feel? Are you happy about it? Are you thinking, well, maybe I could use that money somewhere else? How do you feel? 
What about the, uh, I, I was writing this message and I, I was thinking of the hymn, I Surrender All. Really? Do we really surrender all? And there's another one, it's, I think it's Yes Lord, Yes Lord, Yes, Yes Lord. But I think it's Monday morning or Sunday afternoon, it should be No Lord, No Lord, No, No Lord, or something like that. You know, I've, I've often heard people say that, um, oh, well, they act different when they're, uh, you know, at Sunday morning than they are during the week, and, and uh, that might be so. But you know what? That's who they really are, okay? They are walking in the flesh. If you don't want to live like this, there has to be change in your life. Just like when you became a born-again Christian, there has to be change if you're a true believer. We have to understand that contrast. We have to understand the conflict. We need to do self-examination, and that's tough. What do you spend the most time at? If you think throughout the week, what do you spend the most time at? Do a self-examination. Take up the cross daily. You've heard that said many times. Romans 12.2 says that the difference between worldliness and godliness is a renewed mind. You know, we have to ask the Lord to clear out that crud, that white noise, all that stuff in our heads. we got to clear it out. And you know, sometimes I fail miserably doing this. I'll ask the Lord to clear up my mind, and I'm actually thinking about something broke while I'm praying that. You know, we all fail, and it's a struggle, but you know what? It will get easier. It's hard at first to do that. It's easy for me to stand up here and talk about it, because when we want to change and we're asking the Lord to change, Satan's right there saying, no way. You come back here. You're mine. And you know, those that are sitting here that don't want to change, that just think their life is uh, hunky-dory and... They're just going to keep living the life in the flesh. If you're feeling miserable, and I guarantee that somewhere in your life there's something going on that's, you know, anxiety, whatever it is, get used to that feeling you have. I say this to my children. Neither one of my children live for the Lord, and it is heartbreaking for Debbie and I. They've made some huge strides in the last couple of years, and I'm very thankful for it, especially my daughter. And my daughter suffers with anxiety, and it's really bad. And I talk to her some, well, a lot of the time I talk to her, and I try not to preach at her too much. But her and I have a, have a unique relationship. And not that you don't, hon, but. <laughs> but one thing that I tell her, because she you know, has these knots and these feelings in her stomach, just like a lot of us do. I said, until you surrender your life to the Lord. And she'll say, well, Dad, I pray. Well, you're obviously not praying enough or you're not really surrendering. Because anyone can say, well, I pray. You need to absolutely surrender your life to the Lord as hard as it is. Because I know when I... You know, when I surrendered my life to the Lord and how tough it was. And Satan wanted me back and how tough it was. But I told my daughter we would be there with her um, every step of the way. But I said, once you surrender your life, that feeling will go away. Because even when Debbie and I were going through struggles with our kids during camp, I mean, there was times where I had to leave camp and go rescue my daughter in Truro in some terrible circumstances. And there was these knots in, this, in our stomach and we wanted to quit. But we finally just, Lord, you deal with it we're going to be there for our children absolutely but we just we gave everything over to the lord and we don't have that feeling anymore and it's an awesome awesome uh, feeling if you really want change you need to be prepared for war in god's power of course that's why the authors in god's word uses references to battles and wars because that's exactly what going against the flesh is it is a battle and it can be a war the sign, of, sign that a believer is walking in the Spirit is not that you don't have any bad desires, but that you are at war with them. And the main point of verse 16 is not the war, but the victory in the Spirit. It says that when you walk by the Spirit, you, are not, you will not let those bad desires come to maturity. You nip them in the bud. 
These new godly desires will crowd out the old. And verse 16 promises victory, that victory over the desires of the flesh. Paul makes it very clear. And if you're confused about what the law says, because there's some language here talking about the law, just remember that what the law requires, the Spirit produces, mainly love. And in verse 14 says the entire law is summed up with love your neighbor as yourself. What kind of love is he talking about? We should understand the genuine faith in God's promises of living in the Spirit, okay? It pushes out all of that fear, all of that guilt that we have, all the greed and the anger, and it fills it with this love, okay? The love I'm talking about is not necessarily the love you have for someone who loves you. I mean, that's great that you love your, your child and they love you back, but try loving someone who doesn't love you back. Try loving someone who hates you. Try loving someone who's caused you harm. Or try doing something for someone that you don't like. Helping your neighbor that you just you can't stand looking at. Okay, but, and not only that, but doing it with a, with a happy heart. Doing it, you know, you want to do it because you know that's what the Lord wants you to do. That's the love that Paul's talking about. Because spiritual practices without this love are empty. It's love for the Father and love for one another. And this important fruit leads to all other fruit like joy. I'm not going to get into all the, the, the fruits of the, the Spirit this morning, but I am going to talk about joy because joy is kind of neat. Joy is a deeper version of happiness. That's how I put it. Some people say that uh, happiness is maybe temporary or it's superficial, but the Bible really doesn't make a distinction between the two. It does use the uh, word joy more often, but I think it's a deeper version of happiness. Joy is that awesome feeling inside in the midst of any circumstance. Joy is having that same love for God, that same love for others in the good times and the bad. It's that sense of contentment no matter what is going on in your life. And there's people here, I'm sure, have gone through tragedies or really, really rough times, but that's, it's that sense of contentment. It's that sense that you know that God is in your corner and he's there to support you and no matter what. And it allows us to go through trials. You know, it, he doesn't, you know, you've heard people say he doesn't lift us out of trials, he leads us through it. And it makes us better uh, servants in the end. And you know what? It helps us make better decisions when we're like this. You ever make decisions when you're feeling... Um, you know, ang anxious, or when you're angry when you make decisions, okay? What kind of decisions those are compared to decisions when you're not angry, when you're living in the spirit, when you're not anxious. It helps me make better decisions at the camp, I can tell you that. You know, I pray for joy, and there's nothing wrong with praying for joy. I got to ask the Lord all the time for a fill-up at the camp, because there's times that I walk out the door because our house is right across the road from the camp. I don't even want to see the camp, because I'm going to tell you, in 12 years, it's getting tougher and tougher to run the ministry. There's getting less and less people that, you know, um, that are interested in the camp. And for many years, I, it really bothered me a couple years ago because I had to become this great salesman to, to convince people that the camp was so great. And uh, it started to wear me down when we, we didn't feel we were getting the support. And what it did is it kind of sucked the joy and the life out of me. And I really had to pray, Lord, please help me. Please fill me with that joy that I once had at Mount Traver. No matter who is supporting the camp, it's his camp, and he backs it up, and I'm doing his will. And you know what? That feeling went away, and, we, and uh, I'm grateful that uh, you know, things are going really well at the camp. So it's not, there's nothing wrong with praying for joy. C.S. Lewis said that God cannot give us happiness or joy and peace apart from himself because, guess what? It's not there. So there you have contrast, okay, the two distinct paths. You have conflict, and it's conditional. It's a submissive 
condition of the heart and mind. And if you live like this on your, uh, live life on your own strength, you will not exhibit any of those fruits of the Spirit. Whether you like being that way or not, doesn't matter because the people around you probably don't. Have you ever thought of when you go to work or wherever, whatever's going on in your life, however way you live in the flesh, whether it's greed or anger or whatever, do you think maybe it affects the people around you, especially non-Christians? And that is very important because people can be turned off just like that guy almost was uh, with the horses. It is a poor testimony and people will be affected by it, which is exactly, exactly what Satan wants. If you choose a life in the spirit, you will develop a condition of a servant's heart, wanting to serve, no longer a chore, no longer a burden, not gauging how much we do or how much we give by how much it costs. We'll want to serve. And you know what? The doors that Christ will open for us is so exciting. I'm telling you right now, I know what it's like to live in the flesh, but um, I, a guy came alongside of me a long time ago, and it was, it was rough, made a lot of changes, and, you know, I still live in the flesh. I don't want to make it sound like I'm up here and I never live in the flesh because we all struggle with it. But I know I, I gave my life over to the Lord and the Lord started opening up doors. Doors I couldn't even imagine. Because I'm going to tell you right now, 13 or 14 years ago, I could not imagine that I'd be the director of Mount Tabor Bible Camp. So just imagine, you know, what he could do in your life. And that's exciting. And when you start giving your life to the Lord and making that difficult change and you, you notice maybe uh, some doors open and you didn't think were there, you know what happens? It changes us. Something will change in you and people will notice, especially unbelievers. Because you can talk to someone to the blue in the face, but if they see a difference in you, something special about you, they want to be a part of it. We've seen it many, many times at the camp with campers. We preach the gospel. We're very clear with the gospel. A lot of the times, it's how our cabin leaders act. It's how the leaders at the, at the camp act that make a difference. People will know you by your fruit. Let me be clear this morning, um, before I end, that it's, it's hard, it's a battle, and we fail all the time because of that old sin nature. But remember, we have full access to Christ's power, don't we? We have full access to Christ's strength, but... We must not only believe that he can, because we all believe he can, but we have to believe that he will. And you know, this morning, if you're struggling, don't be scared to ask someone to come help you. And of course, it's not going to be in public. Give them a call or just come up beside them. It's a hard thing to do. And ask them for help. Ask them to pray for you. Or do that for some. If you know someone that's struggling, don't be scared of the rejection. You know, if, if, you know, because most people get offended if you ask them if something's wrong or if you know, you think something's wrong and you go and ask them because everyone gets offended nowadays. But don't be scared of that. Go up and ask someone. You never know what will happen or how God will use that in their, in, in their life or your life. Many years ago, Dana Day came alongside of me. And uh, I had my, the walls up. Of course, you know, I was like, well, I'm, I'm a believer and I love Christ. You know, I don't, need your, I don't need your talk and whatever. But you know what? He didn't give up. And finally, finally, this sledgehammer come down over my head. And I, you know, started making some changes, and it was tough, you know, because Satan wanted me where I was, okay, not where I'm at now, and it was a struggle. But I'm so thankful that Dana took the time to go out of his way to come alongside of me, and it's because he was living in the Spirit, and I'll never forget that. This is the love that Jesus is talking about, and it is tough to do that, and we need more of it nowadays. I want to thank you for uh, putting up with me for the last uh, few minutes. And uh, 
I think you guys are going to be studying more of the, the fruits of the Spirit. And i got to be honest, you know, I, I've read the book many times and I've gone over it. I think there's songs. I think Jeff McLean brought uh, the fruits of the Spirit. It's not a coconut or something like that. That was actually in my head when I was trying to write it. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> but uh, I never really paid much attention to that, you know, walking in the flesh versus walking in the Spirit. And it really will bring to the surface real quick where your life is right now. And we need to make those changes. So uh, please pray for uh, the camp, that we can make a difference in young people's lives, and that we stay walking in the Spirit at Mount Traber. And uh, God bless, and let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, this morning and preaching your word, and Lord, that you brought the words to me. Lord, I know it was difficult at first, knowing what to put down on paper and make it, un make it so people understand it. I thank you, Lord, for it. Lord, it's all through your wisdom and your strength, and I just pray that everyone here will go out and just remember, Lord, that uh, they need to walk in your strength, and Lord, you never know what will happen in their lives at work or wherever, and be able to come alongside of someone or make a difference in someone's life and ultimately lead to them coming to know you. I pray, Lord, for strength. I thank you for this church, and uh, I just pray that it will go well into the future, and the relationship between this church and Mount Traber will as well. Lord, just bless this day, and Lord, just bless the rest of this week in your name. Amen. Thank you so much.